Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all doing well out there right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Not sure when this is being released, so hello, salutations. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think this through. Start again. <laughs> Staying in. Nicholas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all doing well out there. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everyone is having a pleasant evening, morning or afternoon. You've stunned my partner as well. Uh, hello everyone. <laughs> Just enjoy yourself, whatever time of day it is. Fellas, how are we doing? Are we all good in the hood right now? Splendid. It's nice to be able to drink and be merry but it's not nice to have a hangover, which unfortunately is the byproduct of too much alcohol over the last few weeks. All catching up with you. Stu, is your blood alcohol content at a normal level now? Will be uh, <laughs> topped up nicely? Well, the season over, the summer's normally a barren period, but with the Euros, it's kind of been uh, around about 70% proof, which is what it's normally like. But <laughs> if you get down to your, your local home bargains... Thwaites Dark Moil Champion Ale. That's the one to go for. One, I think it's about two or three quid for for a four pack, four hundred and forty mil. Get on it. It's almost it's not not quite stout like, but it's uh, it's pushing the boundaries. It's very smooth. It's enjoyable. So, so thank you and welcome to Beercast. <laughs> <laughs> You're branching out. <laughs> That's it. I'll try and uh, I'll try and get us a sponsorship with Shudder, and she'll get us one with Home Bargains. so we're here to discuss a cage i can't say classic but a cage film we'll say called trespass um did either of you two know this film before going into this one or is this brand new on your radar i had a strange one in the midway through i thought i've seen this before and then i realized i hadn't it's I'm certain I've seen like an identical film to this, but it's not something I'd heard of um, prior to watching it. Uh, no, it's one of. I'm guessing due to the time this came out, this is very much Nick Cage needs some of that play money. Mm, yeah, I think it quite possibly was. Stu, did you know this one? Never heard of it. Never seen it advertised. Obviously, never seen it before. So it was a complete blank canvas, other than the poster. Mm, yeah. Uh, so obviously we're going in, <clears throat> Ben Mendelsohn's in this movie. We've obviously seen Ben Mendelsohn in a previous Cage film, uh, Knowing. I remember thinking in that film he was very underutilised because I'm a fan of his work in general. Um, so I was quite excited. I, mean, I saw this film a couple of years back, but knowing that Ben Mendelsohn's in it, I was looking forward to watching his performance again. He's an actor I look out for. Uh, Nicole Kidman's in it, who I can't confess to being a fan of. She went through a 15-year period of just doing dirge, to be perfectly honest. She seemed to coincide with her obsession with plastic surgery. The more she started to have facelifts and Botox, the more disinterested I became in her work. Are either of you two fans of Ms Kidman? 
Is there anything in her back catalogue that tickles your fancy? There was a lot of tickling around Chase Meridian. <laughs> I'm telling you that. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was peak times. And I, I'm sure that's been mentioned on past podcasts. So, I mean, I even had the, the uh, Batman Forever sticker album because there was the, the, the slight possibility of getting a sticker of her. It wasn't a sticker before. No. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was after. I could have invented no more nails with that sticker, to be honest. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, are you a fan of the Moulin Rouge? Um, not particularly, no. She's not someone that jumps out. I, she was in Stepford Wives, wasn't she? I think mm-hmm. um, I remember seeing in that. I, no, for me, she's just not one of those that have ever jumped out of the page for me or anything like that. Um, no, not. I wouldn't go rush out my way to go see something because Nicole Kidman was in it. Put it that oh, way. That's fair. Uh, the other big name involved in this film would be one Joel Schumacher. Uh, this is the second film of his that we've looked at, following Eight Millimeter. Um, Obviously, you know, he was a director for nearly 40 years of work, but I don't think he ever really had his own style. He, he obviously wasn't an auteur. He seemed like he was a studio director. A studio had a script that needed putting onto the screen and they would turn to him. He never seemed to pin down his own look. Am I being harsh on him by saying that? I don't think it's necessarily a, a negative. You know, some people aren't auteurs. They're just filmmakers. And that was Schumacher for me. I mean, is that is that fair? Do you think, guys? Yeah, it's fair. It's, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's not just because you you ain't got lens flare and instantly thinking J.J. Abrams doesn't mean that you got you're a bad director. It's mm-hmm. he does if he does a competent job in the films that he does, then that's all fine. He doesn't need to have these. Doesn't need to have a signature piece or or a style for me. It's just yeah, is what it is. Let's not forget he directed Falling Down. So <laughs> that's all you need to know. He automatically, he gets the Dave Batista bias that we talked about um, in the Army of the Dead. He gets a pass. <laughs> yeah, um, he's a safe pair of hands, I think, mm-hmm. is the uh, the best way to put it personally. This film, Trespass, was his final feature film before his passing in 2020. Bit of a shame. <clears throat> so IMDb describes this movie as, as they're held for ransom, a husband and wife's predicament grows more dire amid the discovery of betrayal and deception. And honestly, the film does not get any fucking clearer than that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Mom, can I go to a party? Not tonight. I have to go with your mother in this. No, I don't want to meet with your buyer. I want to meet with you. Looks so beautiful. Now it's my house, it's my rules. Daddy's home. Don't you just love surprises? What do you want from us? I don't know. Why don't we start with everything you got?
The film begins with Nick Cage returning home to his McMansion. Fuddy, frumpy-looking Nick Kidman tells her daughter she can't go to a party. Nick Cage returns home, on the phone and completely ignoring his family. He's back, Kidman up saying no to the party. Cage's wig looks atrocious. Like <laughs> His wig looks like it is wearing a fucking wig. It is that bad at the minute. Like I remember in Drive Angry, which is the same year as this film, he looked really wiry and ratty. And in this, he's looking doughier than he has ever looked. I cannot believe this film is from the same year as Drive Angry. He looks he looks in the same shape as I am. <laughs> and that's that's after the last twelve months. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he, to be fair, you you fully believe that he is a family man who spends all his time holding a briefcase and on the phone, mm. just by the state of him. Mm, there is a, and I've said this about Shu before. Actually, there's, <laughs> there's a hair lip uh, element to um, this character, Liga Jetman's hair lip. Um, he, I don't, I, I don't understand what, whether that is just by design or whether that is just that's what he's doing at that part of his life. The cocaine money is dried up, um, <laughs> so he's put all the way back on. I don't know. Who knows? After spending the day looking frumpy, Kidman then puts on skimpy underwears and the tightest black dress you'll ever see, even though she's prepared dinner only for herself and her kid. Cage is distant from his family. The snot-nosed teen girl sneaks out of the house and goes to a party against her parents' wishes. This was a good way of setting the scene for the intruders to come, I thought. In, in fairness... Like, so in order to escape, she's got to go through this high-tech alarm. She runs through the woods and she's got all these security cameras around. She hops this fence to get to the main road where her mate is waiting for her. I thought that was a really good way of showing the audience that this house is a secure building. Mm-hmm. Like, that, you know, the intruders, because we know they're intruders. The film's called Trespass, for crying out loud. I thought that was a clever way of showing us rather than just telling us. I thought what was bizarre is that they made such an insistence on not showing their faces on the camera because they all had balaclavas on or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then within about 20 minutes of the film, they, 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 they all took their masks off. Like Heist 101 is you never show your face, you never use your real name. So they do both within like about the first 20 Seconds. minutes. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> she was um, she was giving off proper Kimbo season two of 24 vibes. Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. She was fucking annoying. That kid was in this film. All I was just waiting for the uh, for the mountain cat to kind of appear and stalk her for a bit. <laughs> the mountain cat that was clearly behind a glass shield as well. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Cage plays a diamond man. He's too busy selling rocks to oil barons for their girlfriends to give a shit about his family. We see tension between Nick's Kidman and Cage. Their marriage appears to be falling apart, but. They don't really go into any great depth on that. Uh, Before Cage gets to go for the evening, the local sheriff's department turn up to check on things. As there has been a spate of breakings reported and they wanted to check, oh, sorry, wanted to talk to the locals about this. Cage goes to talk to the officer who rushes Cage and restrains Kidman before she manages to escape. As far as like openings to films go, I thought this was one of the better ones, actually. Like, having watched this, I thought, 
this film could actually go somewhere. I thought it was a, a decent start to it. Um, we established that the family's in disarray. The daughter's a bitch. The house yeah. is like, it's a stronghold. And then boom, everything completely turns upside down. I thought it was a solid opening 15 minutes, personally. Mm. Matt, are you in agreement? Or? Yeah, I am. And I, and I thought they did uh, an unusual amount of work in making Nick Cage likeable and unlikable in the same way. He's not quite the Wolf of Wall Street, but the way like he communicates and the way he talks, and you could tell he's a hustler. I think they did that really well in a short space of time. Um, why you'd be batting off Kidman's advances, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know they set it up pretty well from the off. The thing for me was foolishly reading about the film before watching it, only the synopsis. All you're trying to do is find out where where the chinks in the marriage is, who's have, who's blatantly having an affair, who's doing this, who's doing that. Um, and that kind of shrouded the, the start of the film because I think you, you start trying to second, third, fourth guess it as soon as you start watching it. Because mm. you know you know there's going to be twists and turns. And not knowing the, about these twists and turns coming up, I just thought, well, it's too early for him to be gay in kind of film-wise. Mm. <laughs> not the fact that he's a middle-aged man, that's obviously... Elton and Friends, it's all all the rage. But you wouldn't see that kind of thing in a film in 2011. So he must, if he's turning her down, he must have a bit on the side. Mm. That's what that's what came to my mind at this point. Um, but yeah, I thought, well, this having not even heard of it before, having an opening like this, I thought, well, this is like a proper like summer kind of summer blockbuster thriller that everyone knows about. Yeah. And mm. talking to people later on, no one's heard of it. <laughs> there is a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, at the party where the daughter escaped to, the daughter and her friend meet some absolute knacker college bros who you hear say, I absolutely love chicks. That is an actual fucking lie <laughs> in an actual script. He then takes the daughter upstairs and shows her a wad of cash, guns and some blow just in case the next 9-11 happens. Back at the house, the lead intruder dude, that would be Ben Mendelsohn, he exerts his dominance. He forces Cage to give him the code to the house. The code he gives him is a false one, which notifies the police. But Mendelsohn points out that he already knows this, showing Cage that he is one step ahead. Kidman believes she recognises one of the intruders as the handyman. And the female intruder goes off to hit the pipe, and watch some fucking home videos at one point. <laughs> Stripping to her undies for absolutely no reason. And then trying on Nicole Kidman's clothing. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> mm, strange, wasn't it? It was very strange. The female intruder is like one of the most interesting parts of this film. And not for the good reasons. She was just sort of like floating around in the back. But was kept popping up every now and again doing random shit. Very bizarre. We get a flashback to some soft focus sweetness between the handyman intruder and Nick Kidman. It looks as though they're having an affair. The kid returns home from her party after getting caught by the intruders, though. There is a scuffle and the two Nicks get the upper hand for a moment. Mendelssohn explains he's doing it because his mom's boyfriend beat her up and she had renal failure. 
I don't think renal failure is a result <laughs> of being beaten up. I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think that's correct. Uh, Kidman somehow gets into a position where she's able to kill Mendelssohn. She tells them to let her kids go. The big guy puts his jacket on the daughter and lets her run away. He has hit his watch in there and set the timer. Why the fuck was she wearing his jacket? Why would you take it off like the second you start running? Yeah. It's like, why would the intro like, it's cold out there, Bab. Put a coat on <laughs> and you'll be all right. Like, that is not normal. Mm. So weird. Kidman forces Cage to open the safe because she has had enough of all the shit that is going on. There is nothing inside this safe. Cage confesses that there is no money, there is no diamonds. He has put it all into his family and he has been fired from his job. The intruders manage to then bring the kid back and try and force the info out of Cage, but still unsuccessfully. Cage tells Mendelssohn to take his kidney for his mom. <laughs> Mendelssohn tells him that his mom is dead and that it was all a lie about the renal failure. Like, were we supposed to have assumed that that was bullshit? Like, what the fuck is this bollocks that is going on? Every 10 minutes, we're told that the previous 10 minutes was all a lie and don't believe anything we've just said. Mm. Like, the whole thing is constantly doing this throughout the film, and it's yeah, fucking it, weird. It's really, really, like... I didn't just... I just didn't get it. Like, what what didn't help with this is I was super tired when I was watching it, so I was kind of... I found it... I would have found it hard to keep up with if it was a fantastic film. But it's like, it just every 10 minutes, there's another MacGuffin. Mm. It's like, I just can't, I couldn't keep up with what we meant to be believing, what we meant to think is the truth, what we meant to think is the danger. It was so like, I mean, yeah, I don't think you've even mentioned the syringe yet. And it's just like, I just, it was just so like, you couldn't keep up with it and not in a good way. No. Yeah. I just, I just thought they were all lawyers, even Jaws standing around threatening everyone. I thought, well, <laughs> what he's, I mean, is he like there to make sure that they do what they're told? This it was when he he um he put the knife into the table when he he, he offered his offered his kidneys um <laughs> or liver or whatever it was um and when he said no she died I thought okay they're just full of shit all of them. Mm. At this point, we've hit about the halfway point of this movie. I felt the film started off like a decent. B-movie madness. So I, was, I was kind of okay with it. But then it quickly just devolved into this convoluted mess of a film. It shouldn't be that fucking difficult, really. <laughs> it's a very straightforward intruder story. But there are so many threads that are just constantly all over the place. They're just pulling the rug from under us every time with just revelation after revelation. I've completely checked out by this halfway point. Oh, massively. Like, I understand the need to keep people, like, on edge and keep people guessing. Like, I get that completely. But this is done. This is done like somebody on the scriptwriters had too many E numbers and they've just gone <laughs> mad. Or, like, they've they've had writer's block. They've taken something potentially not over the counter and then their brains just to wash with that many ideas. But then they've decided to put every one of those ideas in the film. <laughs> I mean... So we've got the affair between Kidman and the Handyman. We've got Cage's shitty family dynamics. We've got Mendelssohn keep asking rhetoric questions that he already knows the answer to. 
We've got the tweaker who's flouncing around the fucking house. The family's broke, but they've got a mansion. We've got the bitch daughter. Like, there is so much going on in a 90-minute film, and we're 45 minutes into it at this point. And the, um... Oh, it can fuck off so badly, this film can. The mad, uh, the mad bro as well, with all the, with the, the money and the drugs. Yeah, yeah. There's just there's too much going on in this film. It's just confusing. Very much the. We stopped thinking about the what can we do and shouldn't sort of thought about if we should have done it kind mm. of thing. It's very much like how much can we play around with this film? Not does it make any sense? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> So at this point, the crooks know that the family are broke. So what they do is they decide to take some of the jewellery. They find a necklace, which is some big, grand, gaudy, expensive-looking shit. Mendelssohn thinks he can get some money out of this, but he's still threatening Nick Cage for more. Cage asks him, do you know the etymology of the word diamond? (laughs) (laughs) Again, an actual fucking thing that is written in a script. It means strong because diamonds are indestructible. Mendelssohn smashes a diamond. Turns out they were fake. Mendelssohn tells Cage that his brother, the handyman, has actually fucked Kidman. The daughter is now with the crackhead. There's a scuffle again and the kid manages to run out. The tweaker shoots her. So the security firm who are looking after the house, they try to call having heard this gunshot. The handyman answers the phone and manages to find the daughter in time to give them the password. Security tell the kid that dispatch has been sent out. The kid tells them to cancel it because she's just having a party and she doesn't want her parents to find out. The security dispatch said, we'll cancel it, no worries. So the dispatch car that's been cancelled then arrives seconds later (laughs) at the house. Mendelssohn answers the door, covered in blood and sweat, to sign some paperwork. I did like that they pointed out how fucking ridiculous that was. Because he yeah. was clearly, like, he's clearly in a, a bad situation, and he's trying to get away with it. They didn't make it look as though they got away with it, even though he's head to toe in blood. <laughs> I mean, the, the only part of the film that made some kind of sense was the woman on the other end of the phone, kind of doubting what she was being told. Yeah. But mm. then when she says cancel, <laughs> it looks like she presses cancel and mm. then it turns up and it, it was another one of them. Well, of course, because it doesn't make sense. So why, why, why would it not turn up? Mm. So at the start of this film, we were told that these crooks are smart. They knew about the family. They infiltrated them. They were one step ahead. Now we see they have an emotionally unstable psycho drug addict. The handyman's answering the phone to the security, even though he doesn't know any of the answers. The crazy tank dude who cannot wait to kill everybody. (laughs) And Mendelssohn, who just, he's spinning yarns and losing his rag, talking to security whilst he's just covered in blood. And then he points out that the brother, the handyman, he's got a psychosis and he's not taking his drugs. So we were led to believe that these were a high-end bunch of dudes who knew their shit. And immediately, they're just a ragtag bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> mm, I I really don't like how they went from being like this professional outfit to then being idiots. And I can remember when I knew that was the case, when 
Nick Cage starts um, questioning about like the serial numbers and the shapes, and then the one mm. guy goes, "Hey, I want I, I want to listen to him." I'm just like, "Oh no, like you're not mm-hmm. the professional outfit at all, are you? You're a bunch of like you just they just, just, just pretenders. They're just pretenders, and they, they came, Yeah, they yeah. came in. They came in big or big hard, big hard men and stuff. And then as soon as the slightest bit of doubt, it all unraveled for them. Mm, absolutely. In order to save her family, the daughter tells the crooks that she can get them money. She remembered the safe from the party that she was at at the beginning, uh, with the money that was stored for the next nine eleven. The crooks decide to allow her to leave and get the money because they're such smart guys at this point. And they send the fucking tweaker with her. Like, the one person you absolutely 100% cannot trust. The drug addict they decide (laughs) to send with the fucking kid to get the money. The highlight of this film happens when Nick C blames Nick K for all of the nights going on. Do I believe you're a part of this? That I'm a cuckold? What? (laughs) Filthy Lust invited them in. I love that light. I don't know why. So bad. <laughs> well, I thought at this point, because of it being um, so convoluted and so strange, that it was all set up by Nick Cage so we could have a wank about it. Or something like that. That's, <laughs> how thought, that's how I thought it was going to end up. Like, he set all the cameras up to catch them, and then at the end of it, he's going to be knocking one out, like at the sight of, every, of his <laughs> missus being roughed about. He <laughs> said, I'm not the one to kink shame. But it just seemed strange that that cuckold line was 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 shoehorned in there. It was out of place, and I, I don't think they knew what it meant. To be perfectly honest, it was mm. a bit bizarre. <clears throat> we get more flirty flashbacks between Kidman and the Handyman, except it turns out they're not. They're the retelling of the flashbacks we've already seen, except this time they're from Kidman's point of view, where she tells the Handyman to fuck off. But she clearly thought about it. She was definitely yeah. up for it at one point. So the whole affair thing that's been running throughout this whole film just turns out to be complete horseshit. When the kid and the tweaker are driving to the party to get the money, the tweaker asks the kid if she thinks she's worth a hundred grand. Do you think you're better than me? Like, yeah, you're an absolute fucking smack bag, love. Like, you were a disgrace. (laughs) The kid then crashes the car fucking the tweaker up, and then she handcuffs her to the car as it's just laying strewn on the side of the road. Where did she get the cuffs from? They appear as if from fucking nowhere. She's just got handcuffs. Were well, they from his briefcase? Were, Were they? they? I don't remember I don't remember seeing her grab them or anything, or anything there. I just thought they were just left in the car from his briefcase. Oh, who knows? That's they look the same handcuffs from the briefcase, so maybe it's just a, a deleted maybe. scene or something. Okay, far too sensible, Stu. Yeah, I, I just thought they magically appeared from nowhere because he doesn't need handcuffs because he's got fuck all in his briefcase. <laughs> and if he did have anything in his brief, briefcase, he should be wearing the handcuffs because that's what they're there for. <laughs> Mendelssohn kills the big guy in the crew. The big guy, with his final breath, tells Mendelssohn that the reason the mob own him is because of his brother selling him out. The cage kidmans manage to escape into the extension that they're building. They find a lot of money in the walls. The money made from selling the real necklace. The handyman kills Mendelssohn when he threatens Kidman. There's another scuffle. Cage sets the place on fire, burning it all down. Cage <laughs> picks up a nail gun and shoots the handyman's foot, nailing his foot to the floor. 
Now, I've used a nail gun, like, before. <laughs> there is no way you can shoot it from across the room with that accuracy into someone's foot and it nail their foot to the ground. That is just not possible. You can't You can't use it with against... It needs to be touching something anyway. Yeah. It, well, you don't just follow it in the air like that. No. Ridiculous. Cage shoots Handyman with a gun. The extension burns down as Kidman drags Cage out of the building. And that is the end of the film. Oh, <clears throat> So the budget... $35 million. Ooh. What the fuck have they spent that on? Because the, it's one set. They are literally just in the house throughout the whole film, pretty much. So that money's got to have gone on the cast. But you've got Kidman, Cage, and Mendelssohn who've got any name recognition. And Mendelssohn isn't that big a name yet. I and mean, he probably still isn't enough of a name to warrant a $35 million budget. I don't know where that money spent, mm. unless that was the cocaine for the writers. That's the only thing. I, <laughs> <think of. laughs> I mean, she was yeah. still, and she was still quite massive, though. I mean, she had the thing with Robbie Williams as well, which was huge, um, something stupid. But it <clears> wouldn't <throat> surprise me if they had like three and a half, four million dollar wages each for this film. And then Even the rest, so the rest went. The rest went on a, a set, and maybe they, they were a real safe. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous amount. Speaking of ridiculous, the film opened on the sixteenth of October two thousand and eleven, and it made sixteen thousand eight hundred and sixteen dollars. Oh, on the opening know. weekend. In total, in the US, it grossed $24,094. The cumulative worldwide total was a little over $10 million. But yeah, not even twenty-five grand it made in the US. Wow. The film only lasted 10 days in the cinema before it was pulled. That's how much of a shit show it was. Because I was going to say that how much of that budget is marketing and anything else like for it. Like, Has that been considered as part of the budget? But... Obviously not, if you know what I mean. Mm. But that's why no one's heard of this film, because it was it was only at the cinema for a cup of coffee. Like, it was barely there. Obviously, when we discussed Drive Angry a few weeks back, we went through some of the Razzies it was nominated for, because Trespass was jointly nominated with that movie. At the other end of the scale, it was the 84th Academy Awards that year. The big winner in 2011 was The Artist and Hugo, uh, both of which earned five uh, five awards each. They were both up for Best Picture, which The Artist won. Uh, The other films were The Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, The Help, Midnight in Paris, Moneyball, The Tree of Life and War Horse. Not going to lie, that's a really boring year for the Oscars. Like, the artist was fine, and Moneyball's okay, but a lot of the others were just very okay. There's only Moneyball and Warhorse are the only ones on that list I've seen. I haven't mm. seen Warhorse, to be fair, because I don't like war films, but yeah. It's not really, no. It's all right, it's all right. It's mm. not. It's nothing, it's nothing spectacular, but it's not. It's not your general war film either. It's kind of okay. it's worth it's worth. I mean, I'm surprised that you haven't seen it, and I mean, obviously, turn the color down, and you'd love it. But it's it is very good. Mm. 
Okay. Maybe one day, but Spielberg, if I remember correctly, I think I'm not a huge Spielberg fan. But yeah, there we go. What's your, what's your beef with war films? Uh, I just, I've never really been a big fan. I don't know what it is. They don't really do much for me. It's not British enough, is he? That's a problem. <laughs> like Dunkirk didn't really tickle my fancy, even as someone who likes um, Nolan's work. What about? Oh, so are we, are we talking British War or World War One or two films? Are we talking? Are we talking combat with soldiers in general? Um, I would say mostly World War based films. I don't mind Vietnam films for some reason seem to work pretty well. Mm-hmm. It might be because the soundtrack to those tends to be excellent because you get a lot of 70s Americana stuff and that's usually decent. But so take it Fury wasn't one for you. Did you, did you, did you catch it? No, I did not. Uh, David Ayer, isn't it? That one, I think. Excellent it was, I thought. Fury. Mm-hmm. Sure, what did yeah. you think of Fury? Are you silly? It's over there. I, I've just seen it. Yeah, what? I've heard good things, but I need to be properly in the mood to sit and watch them. I mean, it took forever for me to watch um, Save It Private Ryan. Mm. But to be fair, I mean, that is decent. Like, that's one of the exceptions to the rule for me. I think and that's a good film. 1917. Yeah. Yeah, that, that I enjoyed that. Again, I, I probably wouldn't have chose to have watched that. It was literally because it was up for all the Oscars that I had to watch it. But I'm Spe- glad I watched it in retrospect. I think Speaking of which, have you heard um, Band of Brothers 2? He's coming out. He's in production at the minute. Yeah, mm. It's going to be following. I don't think it's fo- It's not Obviously, it's not following Easy Company. I think it's following... Is it another paratrooper regiment? Or is it... Um... It's, well... It's technically Band of Brothers 3, eh, if you care the Pacific. Yeah, well, yeah. But it's... Yeah, it's... So everyone's... Everyone, the band back together, so to speak. Production-wise, and from behind the camera, so yeah, very good, exciting. I've been listening to a podcast that you might enjoy, and it's called Dead Eyes, and it's about a guy who was cast in a role in Band of Brothers, and was fired by Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks said that uh, he he had dead eyes, which is where the name of the podcast came from. Oh, okay. And they just talk about just the whole business of being an actor and delve into that specific incident for the one guy who presents it and all the others um it's a really good show i'd recommend that um but yeah that just reminded me talking about panda brothers but yeah definitely worth uh worth a listen i think if you've got a few hours spare so before i give you the scores i want you to tell me what trespass is gonna get for the fan and critical response matt God, it, uh, it can't be that. It can't be you. I reckon even its Amazon rating would be quite low. Um, <laughs> 35 critic, 40 fan. Stu? <sighs> there are any fans, is there? I think that's the problem. <laughs> uh, we, we, we are the only fans. I mean, we get money from that way. Uh, <laughs> critically... If it's if it's done this badly, it can't be good, Kenny. Fours all round, fours fives, maybe mm. something like that. Okay. So IMDb was a five point three. The Metacritic was a thirty seven. Rotten Tomatoes audience score was twenty two percent. Yeah, and the critical score was eleven percent. Jesus, that's bad. That's got to so, be one of the lowest we've come across. I think it might be. Yeah, <laughs> even yeah. worse than left behind. 
<laughs> Mind you, I mean, Left Behind, that's, that would probably get good reviews from Christian newspapers, in fairness. Uh, yeah, true. Mm. Yeah, uh, so obviously the critical response is mostly negative. There were a couple kind of, sort of, maybe positive-ish reviews, but Stephen Cole from the Globe and Mail, um, though hardly indispensable, Trespass is an agreeable time waster, distinguished by one good performance and enough clever twists to keep you, if not on the edge of your seat, at least happily alert, guessing along with the plot. That's almost as good as he gets, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> almost all of the scripts, oh, sorry, all of the reviews mention the scripts. The best one I found was from Melissa Anderson from Village Voice. Um, first time screenwriter, Carl Gdusek, could be butchering that name. Um, they attempted at making timely observations about the dangers of living beyond one's means are drowned out by the howlers coming out of the characters' mouths. I think that's fair, because I, the stuff that the characters said in this film, no human has ever spoken seriously <laughs> ever before. Uh, I think the most telling review is probably that one. So, like, you look at... <clears throat> do you know the etymology of diamond? <clears throat> Who the fuck speaks like that? The filthy lust line? Like, it's just garbage. One reviewer forgoes the dog shit scripting, though, and goes straight in for the acting. That would be Derek Malcolm of the Evening Standard. Cage performs with a conviction that comes from a long experience in bad movies, but Kidman seems totally uninterested. Absolutely fair. The fan response, however, some people did like it if you were to look on Amazon.com. Oh it got a 4.0 out of 5, with 70% of the reviews getting 4 or 5 stars. So Rachel Jones gives it a 5-star review, saying, Love Nicolas Cage. Good film, but not one of his best. 5 stars. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. This one's a little bit longer, but the movie guy gave it a 5-star review titled, Nicole Kidman Must Not Die, all in capitals. <laughs> Nicholas Cage stars as a rich, successful diamond dealer with a home safe bigger than my banks. He doesn't have time for his family. Nicole Kidman plays his wife who struggles to keep the family together. Liana Liberato is their daughter who is at the difficult, rebellious teen stage. She is not allowed to see Kendra who is a bad influence on her. Once the characters are quickly established, the movie turns into a home-breaking film. The daughter is not at home because she disobeyed her parents to go to the party with Kendra. A party that has the forbidden older boys. While, <laughs> Kylie, sorry, while Kyle and his wife are being bullied and threatened, Kylie's attempting to figure out who these people are from indirect clues they are given to him. Cage manages to cause disharmony amongst the thieves. They're a flashback as Kyle and Kidman think they know who these people are. As it turns out, they are both having their dirty little secrets. Excellent job by the actors. Fairly decent script for a home breaking, which is normally a big movie. Good script with multiple twists, and they weave seeming, seemingly useless things from the beginning into the mesh. One of the better home breaking films. If you liked this one, try the new version of Mother's Day. One of the thieves, Jordana Spiro, for some reason feels she must look around upstairs in a bra and panties. Thanks. 
<laughs> F-bombs, no sex, no nudity. Like, he's just told the whole fucking film. <laughs> and then he's just thanking because there's a woman who's prancing around in her panties. What a movie. So, good, bad, crazy, Stuart. <clears throat> Starting well. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hate it as much as you seen everyone in the entire world seem to, with shock horror. But it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. It was it was so ridiculous. It got to the stage where, like we already mentioned, how things just started turning just completely insane and things not making any sense. And from when they started lying and lying and lying and lying over and over again mm. and changing things, that's when I thought, well, what is actually going to happen now? And then you had them because you had the whole twist with the money and is he just is he lying? Has he been walking around pretending he has a job? Because even that, I thought, well, is that going to be a lie as well? So, for a time, I was kind of caught up in the whole what is real of it all, which is mm-hmm. obviously not rare for me because I never figure these things out anyway. But I did enjoy that that part of it. I mean, the bad, it's not a good film, really, is it? It's, it's not, <laughs> it's, not gonna, it's never going to win anything. And it's just being seen by people seems to be an achievement. I mean, I mean, Put it this way, I mean, how hard it was to even find a copy of it to watch, let alone anything else. Mm, yeah. Which, for a film that's only 10 years old, is quite remarkable. <laughs> and I couldn't, I mean, it, spoilers, I couldn't even get a 1080p copy in the end anywhere. Couldn't and that's fo- sacrilege for you, isn't it, Stu? Yeah. <laughs> I, it, I had to watch it on the telly, of all things, like a pauper. Oh, it's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> but, yeah... I mean, the, the bads obviously it's it was too it was too much it was too many things thrown in, in at once for the runtime that it had and for the kind of basic premise that it is really mm-hmm. you don't expect that kind of thing in these kind of films so too many ideas too little time and the, the crazy that it was it didn't make any money that's got to be the crazy part yeah. about it yeah, it, 25 it, grand unbelievable that it had such a backlash or such a kind of who gives a fuck about it? I mean, that's astonishing to me. It, For a Joel Schumacher film, like he, yeah. he is still a name in 2011. So yeah, that is quite an odd one. For a Joel Schumacher film with them three in it as well. Mm. At that time, when we've already said, we already pointed out the kind of films that we made that year were pretty boring and awful. For <clears throat> we're pretty boring and awful for the kind of bombastic summer thriller market there were anything else and mm. they still failed <laughs> it's unbelievable mm. Matt what's yours please so the good I I enjoyed some of the opening salvo and Nick Cage um, kind of giving his speech and being the low life and being the scumbag and then I like the way how he tried to weasel out of everything that he he was getting himself into like when he's talking about obviously I'll um, I'll be your diamond guy, and he tries to weasel out of it that way, and then he talks them through, and he almost wants the mobsters or, or the intruders to have some kind of professional pride and actually do this is like do it right. I actually thought that was quite well done, and I enjoyed that bit of interaction. Mm. Um, probably one of the, 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 the few positives from it. The bad, really, um, the way that like they shoe like. 
when the kids are on the way to the party at the start and they like shoehorn in that bit of the road where they're going to drive off when she almost <laughs> crashes the car yeah. and then, oh, how convenient. And then that's where like the other one comes to her. Doesn't come to a death though, we, sh- we assume. She's just, this. she goes at speed, does a macho man Randy Savage and then ends up like not, and then not doesn't die from it. And he's just mm. shoehorned in. He's just shoehorned in completely. Um, it just was, it was terrible. The the crazy for me is I fell asleep. I was woken up by my dear darling bride, and um, I missed nothing. I literally missed nothing. <laughs> like, I, I must have been asleep for about fifteen minutes of it, and what I missed played no part uh, from the way you've described the film. Um, made no bearing. It's so, mm. so so much happened, yet so little had any effect of what happened on it. Because it, that's it's just a story. It's a story in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah. It's just bizarre thing after bizarre thing that's shoehorned in that has no relevance on the end on the end game. What did your wife think of it? Did she watch it with you? Or yeah, yeah, she did. She said, "If I'm going to watch this shit, you're going to watch this shit." <laughs> Which is basically the line. It's fair to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my good was Ben Mendelsohn. Um, I think the acting was generally shit, but I thought he was quite good. He was believable as a guy out of his depth who did have some muscle behind him. I, I liked him in that. And obviously the only other film we've seen him in was Knowing, which was an absolute stinker of a movie that he was underutilised in. So I, I was quite pleased that he got a chance to give a little bit more this time out. The bad was Nicole Kidman. Um, I don't like to point out the way people look. I don't think that's a particularly important thing. But this was done after her lip surgery. Um, and you could tell that it was done after a lip surgery. She was slurring, like she couldn't emote her words very well. Mm. And she's always been like quite good at doing that, generally speaking. But it was really poor in this. It, you know, it, it actually actively detracted from her performance, I felt. My crazy is that in 2003, there was a film released called From Justin to Kelly, it's a terrible, terrible film. It's starring two people from American Idol. So Justin Garini, I don't know who he is. And the Kelly in the title is Kelly Clarkson. That film is rated as the 13th worst film in the IMDb bottom 100 movies. It's dog shit. It's awful. And that took 29 days to go from cinema to video on demand. Trespass took 18. <laughs> Trespass has got the shortest time from cinema screen to video on demand. And that is unbelievable for a $35 million um, movie. Unreal. <clears throat> Stu, did you enjoy the film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't fall asleep, but I was, I don't know if it was the the, the, um, the kind of room vibes of, yeah, it's it's awful. You can't take your eyes off it. Yeah, I mean, she was awful in it. The um, it was when I mean, that whole kind of desperate housewives vibe <laughs> with that she had with the with the uh, the handyman slash tech man. But I mean, why why was he in the pool? It didn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was all right. I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't. It was probably the right right length. <laughs> there was um, any any longer. And you'd have been struggling, but it was 
<laughs> it was it was just the right amount of time to be entertaining before it went off the other end of just being shit. Mm. And there was enough of a kind of keeping you guessing about it for me that justify just keeping keeping going with it. And it wasn't like some of the films that we've watched where I've said, before, if I what we weren't doing this, I would have turned it off after 20 minutes. There was no way I was going to do that with this. I mean, yeah, mm. the ending was like the end, like in, <laughs> the end boss of a, a quite awful game where oh, the whole place is going to go up in flames anyway. Let's just do what we can. Mm. And I mean, and we never really got to the bottom of why he had gone off her either. Maybe it was because she couldn't speak to him because of her lips. Maybe it was because <laughs> they don't get Pele adverts in America and he hadn't, he didn't know what Viagra was. Maybe that was his problem. <laughs> you, don't, you just don't know. And, but she was, she being into him when he's not there all the time and he's wandering mm. around, that didn't make any sense to me at all. But I still enjoyed it. So <laughs> and I would say if, if you like these kind of, I mean, if home breaking films are a genre in themselves, I mean, I'd just put this as a shit thriller, really. Mm, yeah. But if you like thrillers, then I'm, I'll recommend it. But my mum will watch this because it's one of it's one of them films that you'll you'll see it on a like Sunday night on on ITV One or something like that. Watch it. It's all right. It's this, not great. Sorry, let, let me stop you there, Stu. This has got Channel 5 written all over yeah. it, says. It's this is big budget for Channel 5. This it's... isn't Channel 5. This is Five Star. This five is Star, like yeah. The fucking is. dirge of Channel Movies 5. Movies for men. <laughs> Channel 5 does not have the budget for this. Um, <laughs> no, no idea where the budget went. I mean, <laughs> maybe the budget was actually in the wall and they burnt it all. <laughs> yeah, true. Could be. Hmm. Matt, did you enjoy the film? Nope. Shite. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's crap. It was um, started off promising, um, but then quickly, quickly deteriorated fast. Um, much like there would be intruders, well thought out plans. Uh, no, it, it just wasn't very good. It was um, whether it be really, really bad script writing or some bizarre obsession with just convoluting it as much as possible it just never it never gripped you enough it wasn't thrilling enough mm. it, no it just it, it was just dreadful dreadful yeah. i mean for a film that had a 91 minute runtime it felt longer than Zack snyder's justice league but <laughs> like, you, you could have told me this film was four hours and i'd have probably believed you because it felt like it every minute was a fucking lifetime so, yeah, I'm agreeing. It's a shocker. Absolute shocker. Based on this film and this film alone, was Nicolas Cage good or was Nicolas Cage bad? Stu? No, he was bad. <laughs> Every, everyone was bad apart from probably Mendelssohn, I suppose, because he's, he's good in most things. But, again, he did what he had. Like we've said a lot of, of Cage himself that Mendelssohn did what he had to do with, the, with what he had. Everyone else proper hammed it up or found it in. So, no, he's not on this one. Yeah, fair. Matt? Mm, I slightly contradict myself from from Drive Angry in 3D um, when I said that Nick Cage could only do what he, what he had to work with, but I don't think I don't think anybody can get a pass, even Mendelssohn, in this. Um, no, it was so... 
over the top and just just silly, but not even like in a camp way. It was just mm. it was just silly and over the top and uh, no. It wasn't for me in terms of his performance. It's 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 not quite at least he puts effort in. Even if that effort is misplaced, it's not like left behind zero effort, no fucks given. He tries, but trying doesn't always mean success, unfortunately. I I question how much effort he puts into the role of Kyle. Because halfway through production of this film, he decided he wanted to play the bad guy and shut production down for a week. <laughs> so they could talk him back into playing the role that he was actually Oh playing. my God, I didn't know that. So I, I do wonder if he actually gave a shit about the role, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I agree with both Yeah, he was He wasn't just bad, he was bad, bad. He was really, really bad. Uh, I listened to an interview with Cage he gave about this movie at the Toronto International Film Festival. He said that he wanted Kyle Miller to be somebody that would, in your mind, be the last person who could rise against this untenable, unwinnable situation. He's kind of like he's sexually confused. You wouldn't expect him to live through that. That's what Cage said. I did not see any of that in this performance. <laughs> not at all. No. I'm not sure where he's coming from there. No. It was a messy script with inhuman dialogue. <laughs> Perfect for a crazy Cage performance. And he didn't give us that. Hang on. So he's, he said sexually confused. That was the words he said. Kind of like he's sexually confused. So me saying that he he could have been gay. <gasps> Maybe. Maybe you saw something in that performance that nobody gay, else... Yeah, gaydar on point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes me feel that there's something that's been left on the cut... The, that's been cut from this, left on the floor, because the whole cook, the cook old line, maybe there mm. was more to it. Maybe there was, like, a blackmail there about his sexual, sexual wants and needs that never just made it into the film, that that's what Cage is referring to, maybe. Maybe. Maybe he was underserved by the film, but it it does feel like nobody brought their A-game to this movie. A lot of them just felt like they were reading the script and we're just seeing the rehearsals. We're not actually seeing them acting, we're just seeing the the rehearsal Mm. shots. It's just a bit poor, really. So, yeah, disappointing all round, I think, this one. So, finish the sentence, please. If you enjoyed Trespass, you may also like. Stu, start us off. I mean, I, I, other than Home Alone, I can't think of any home invasion yeah. films. It's a uh, great film, though, to be fair. So, I mean, I think a thriller with money and twists and turns, and if, it probably has been mentioned already. Um, the Game, Michael Douglas, mid-90s. Very, very good film. I don't remember that one. It's just, okay. called, the, just called The Game. He's a oh, wealthy businessman, and it's... Go in as blind as you possibly can because okay. it, it'll ruin it otherwise. Hmm. I think that's on Netflix. I'm sure I've seen it advertised oh. uh, as of late. Okay. Matt, finish the sentence. If you liked um, Trespass, then you need professional help. No. <laughs> um, if, you, if you liked Trespass, uh, then you should lo- watch or like Phone Booth. Oh, yes. So that's another uh, Schumacher film that's actually done quite well 
it has you guessing, second guessing. Um, it builds tension really nicely, paced very well as well, um, and it has its twists and turns in a quite an organic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, a much much better version of the turgid shite that we saw with <laughs> Trespass. Really, really liked my phone booth, and it's been a long time since I've watched it, so I'm going to rewatch it soon. I think mm, that's it's, a really um, good call. The game is indeed on Netflix uh, as time of recording. Sean Penn as well, directed by Fincher. So, oh, okay, I do like Fincher, so I'm all up for that one. Uh, for myself, if you enjoy Trespass, you might also like Don't Breathe. I don't know if you pair know this one. It's a thriller from 2016, produced by Sam Raimi, so it's got some pedigree. Um, It's a really intense movie where a group of kids break into a blind man's house in order to rob him. Um, But when they're in there, all shit breaks loose. They find some deep, dark secrets kept in the basement. Like, I didn't expect what happens to happen. Really good, tense thriller. Top, top movie that one is. So that's another Nicolas Cage movie in the record books. If you've seen this one or any others or any films you want to tell us about anyway, why not drop us an email or send us an MP3, uh, cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Make sure you've got us on the Twitter at cagefightingpod. Uh, as you're listening now, please make sure that you've got us followed, subscribed, whatever it is that you're supposed to do so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you could leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate that. And finally, just thanks for giving us another hour or so of your time this week. We do appreciate it. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? We've made it to a year, and Andy said cuckold before me. So that's a win all round. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) And it's a goodbye from me. And remember, your filthy lust invited them in. See you next time. <laughs> He's right. Oh, come on, you don't really believe it. That you're a part of this? That I'm a cuckold? What? That your filthy lust invited the man? Why? <laughs>